We are so glad to have as a supporter of the Pace Line, Health IQ. You ride your bike, you keep in shape. Health IQ believes you should be rewarded for that with lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out just how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show. Wow, I just love mountain biking. <laughs> it's that simple. It's, yeah. It is so fantastic to hang out with a group of guys that you've known for a long time and ride and talk and catch up with each other. The leaves may be changing, but some things stay the same. We talk about our favorite fall traditions. And we hear from a man who's attempting to elevate the profession of bike mechanic. Bringing awareness to what mechanics actually do on a daily basis and how they're able to do it. Um, developing them is something we're working on with certification and, and training opportunities. And, and, you know, I think we'll see a lot more of that come into life as we, we continue to grow. Line, the podcast on two wheels, the podcast ready to put on its knee warmers, embrocation, what have you. The clocks have rolled back, sun is setting earlier, the mileage is going up. Thanks for finding the show, everyone. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, wherever. We love that you found us. And of course, this podcast is propped up by the likes of Fatty of FatCyclist.com. Hello, Fatty. Fatty at FatCyclist.com. <laughs> You're working on a jingle, I hear. Oh yeah, that's also my email address. I realized as I as I said that or saying that, <laughs> I just sang my email address without even intentionally doing so. You should do like ringtones with that thing, and then when people log on to your page, if they could get a little jingle like that, I think that would be a, a welcoming thing for you, Fatty. I want him to do that. the theme to Mission Impossible. It's the Mission Impossible. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid my range is quite limited. <laughs> Okay, I'll sing well, you... anything to this tune. <laughs> we're going to send Fatty off to, to choir practice, and we're going <laughs> to remind everyone that the home of the Pace Line is redkiteprayer.com. Patrick Brady, the driving force behind RKP. Hello, Patrick. The non-singing second third of this operation. Yeah, you played instruments, right? You didn't try to sing. Yeah, no, I, I kept my, my trap shut as I played the traps. The traps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very jazzy of you. Oh. I'm a Michael Houghton, RKP contributor, Paceline presenter. I played horns in band. Yeah, always horns. So usually some type of trumpet, trombone. That was my role, musically speaking. Mother was a piano teacher. I could never learn the piano, but horns I had. Uh, this is a really great time of year to ride. At least I think so. We're generally holding oh, on to some type of fitness from a spring and summer's worth of training and racing. The stifling heat is exited, but it's not too cold or wet or white to ride. Lots of uh, cool Grand Fondos going on and centuries and organized rides to check out. Um, Patrick, I think you once called this time of year the time for junk miles. Absolutely. I, you know, I think that, I think that, that kind of undermines a, a bit what the enjoyment we get out of this time of year. I mean, it's not junk. It's... It's enjoyment miles, I would I would call them. I mean, oh, this yeah. It's a great time of year. 
No, and and that was, you know, when I wrote that post some years back, um, that was my whole point was that, you know, the the sort of writing you do this time of year gets derided as junk miles because it's not hard enough to make you stronger. It's not easy enough to be, you know, proper aerobic base training or recovery. You're just going out and riding fun, riding hard because it's pretty fun. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the post that I I wrote, that was meant to be just a celebration of that. Go out and have some fun. Um, Enjoy yourself. I mean, why else are you a cyclist? Right. Well, junk miles or cool miles or fall miles, whatever you call them, this gets us to Fatty and his annual fall tradition. What has been up, Fatty? What have you... What have you gone back to as you do every year this time of year? Well, every year, a group of friends and I go on a trip we just call Fall Moab. And originally, we always went to Moab just sometime in the fall. And it was a chance where those of us who have worked together for a long time, and then some, you know, some of us moved away and came back, and you know, everyone sort of spreads out. But for, I think, like 23 years, we have all got back together and gone for a long weekend of mountain biking. And it used to always be in Moab. This year, even though we went to St. George and rode the three mesas, we still call it Fall Moab. And there were about a dozen of us. And, you know, we were in our late 20s, early 30s when we began. Now we're in our late 40s, early to mid 50s. And so, you know, things have changed a little bit. But I was just thinking, what a fantastic tradition I am lucky to be a part of, where it's still a great group of guys. Uh, there were a couple of guys this year who couldn't ride at all because they, you know, one had a bad back and one had recently had surgery on his arm, but, you know, he still came out and, you know, kind of acted as the camp manager. And we stayed in the Gooseberry Yurts, check out gooseberryyurts.com, um, and rode Little Creek and we rode uh, Gooseberry Mesa, and we rode Guacamole, and it's three incredible trails, all accessible while we were camping and sitting around a campfire, and wow, I just love mountain biking. <laughs> it's that simple. It's, yeah. It is so fantastic to hang out with a group of guys that you've known for a long time, and ride, and talk, and catch up with each other, and, you know, ride, you know, mountain biking is so much more than just riding there's you know the fun and the tricks and the miles you know honestly we got in very few miles but just so much fun uh, mm. and what a great time of year uh, so is this a you, guys only trip it is a guys only trip um we've we've been pretty explicit about that a couple of times guys have brought their significant others and it changes the dynamic uh, a little bit. And I think in almost all circumstances, it is fantastic to have a mix. But this is kind of a thing where it is just a group of guys. And we kind of like having this time where, um, you know, where the, dyna- you know, where the dynamic of, you know, gender differences doesn't come into play at all. And, you know. It's, you know, sometimes guys got to go into their caves and this is that time. <laughs> <laughs> and how does one break into this, uh, this tight circle of friends? Well, you need to have known us about 20 years ago. <laughs> Back okay. then it was anyone, uh, all, all takers, you know, but that's not actually true. Um, other, it, it, there's basically 
what I think of as a common rule, which is, you know, you can invite someone, but there needs to be an understanding that, you know, invitees don't get to be inviters. And that's been a problem in the past where you invite someone and then they bring their friends too. And before long, you have so much inertia with this group that's snowballing out of control that the, you know, that it's hard to have the groups reconnect and then start again. And it stops feeling like a tight group of friends and starts feeling more like a bunch of strangers who happen to be on the same trail at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not something where we're looking to grow the group. This is the, you know, the one ride per year where it's, you know, everyone knows everyone and has for, you know, a decade plus. And how many, how many people? This year, there were about 12 of us. Um, it, it, it has, you know, it's of course grown and shrunk and there's a group of about, I would say six of us who we think of as the core team who are, you know, who have really been mountain biking together for two plus decades. And, you know, we each have a pretty good understanding of who likes what and, you know, the different personalities and, different senses of humor, and that's all just really sort of a part of it. We love that. And then there's the, what I would call the outer circle, where it is, you know, friends and relatives of the inner circle, and they are welcome and a nice part of it as well. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, you know, I I don't think uh, as much about the ride as I used to. Um, You know, the drive to St. George or to Moab is as much of the fun as the um, as the riding itself, the time around the campfire, the hanging out. That's um, just such a fantastic uh, part of mountain biking, and you know you don't get that as much with the road with the road riding group trips. You know that's a little bit more um, usually a little bit more tightly organized, I guess. But oh, I just love the the loose tradition friends, hanging out, eating, relaxing, you know, the whole camping plus biking thing. There's nothing better. Yeah. Yeah. Roadies need, in general, hotels and buffets. Sure. Breakfast buffets. And that's awesome Um, in its own way, right? Yeah. Um, But that relaxed atmosphere, you know, um, that is one of the reasons I think both Patrick and I have been attracted to gravel events Mm-hmm. Um, they are just, you know, more stripped down. They're not as tense. Yes, there can be competition. It could be a hard course, but usually it's a great day. It's a mass start. You've got a number of people going off together. So I went out and did what I hope becomes a, a fall tradition. It was an event. It was an organized event. Um, so a, a lot more new faces as opposed to Fatty's event than, than, uh, otherwise, uh, my event was called the Gravel Mob um, Gravel hmm. Event, obviously, in Ojai. It was put on by a bike shop up there called the Mob Bike Shop, which doesn't mean gangsta. It means it means <laughs> Miner's Oaks Bike Shop, where the bike shop <laughs> used to be located. Miner's Oaks is a, is a small town just outside of Ojai, and they actually moved the bike shop into Ojai proper, as it were. Ojai, by the way, folks, is a, is a town, what about 90 minutes... Um, outside of Los Angeles, on the way to Santa Barbara. It's a valley 
Uh, there's a lot of meditation that goes on there, yoga, spa. S- some great wines. Uh, great wines, uh, really good farmer's market on the weekend, um, and some excellent cycling in the area, too. So some very good climbs. So this was uh, their third gravel event in Ojai. Uh, again, put on by the Mob Bike Shop, Peloton Magazine, and Panaracer, um, a favorite tire at RKP. Uh, all got involved to put on this event. Small, smallish event. I think they capped the long, the long route, which was 58 miles, 7,000 feet of climbing at 150 riders. And there was a shorter event, too, for folks who didn't want to uh, struggle through all that climbing. Uh, for most, it was a ride. There were like four guys at the front, one a former wearer of the yellow jersey who pushed the pace. Uh, it was also uh, the maiden gravel event for a good buddy of mine. So I loved sharing, you know, something yeah. new with somebody else. Uh, Sean Halderbaum is a good friend of mine. And he just got a um, a new bike to, to ride in gravel events. The, the night before, we mounted up a set of WTB Nanos for him. And uh, he jumped on his uh, new Santa Cruz Stigmata and got himself back to Ojai in 10th place. So he had a nice ride. Uh, good day for him. Uh, wow. He rode in, by the way, with someone we are all familiar with on this show. And that someone has a cool new video out. Here's a clip. See if you can guess who it is. You know, single speed is a niche that I fell in love with early on when I was riding bikes. Super simple, very zen-like sort of fits my style of riding which is you know more power and sort of like gorilla than like grace that's why we why we do this for the joy of it the fun of it the thrill of it the camaraderie of it the adventure of it all of that is why we should be riding a bike i'm just a big kid that likes riding his bike it puts a smile on my face still after 20 years and I hope it keeps putting a smile on my face for another 20 years. <laughs> All right. Can you name that badass? My favorite former third grade teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That, that's got to be Yuri Hauswald. That is Yuri Hauswald. Yeah. Very cool to see him up in uh, Ojai. Um, by the way, this video, uh, really a beautifully shot video by WP, WTB, Wilderness Trail Bikes, a shot in Marin County. Uh, of course, promoting their brand. I mean, this look, this is a promotional tool, but they did a, you know, a nice job with it. Again, Yuri was uh, here in SoCal for the Gravel Mob event. Um, I don't think he th- threw down his best effort. He he just came out, rode it, had a good time. You should check out his new rig, though, guys, if you have a chance. I believe he slept in a hammock outside the, the start-finish line inside his new rig. So, <laughs> uh, Great event, though. And again, uh, like like... Yuri said in the video, camaraderie, friendship, yep. bikes, sometimes an event, sometimes that event is organized or not. It may be camping. Um, it may be just where bikes are secondary, a la what Fatty did. So two cool fall traditions, one with more history than another. And then, of course, we have Patrick Brady, who really embraced fall with... <laughs> What we all should be doing, or at least some of us should be trying, and that is cyclocross. Yeah, I like saying of gravel rides that you can't beat me at a gravel event. I can only beat myself. <laughs> at, at cyclocross, you can get beat, and I got beat a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, so Bike Monkey puts on a, a three-day event, the Gelati Cup. Um, this is my second year of getting to do it, so it's a Friday night race, and then Saturday and Sunday morning races. Uh, the first two are at the Santa Rosa Fairgrounds, and uh, 
Uh, pretty pretty similar course one day to the next. Um, although Friday night you come off a flyover and there are a bunch of empty beer kegs set up in a sort of a maze um, that you have to get through. But there's also an alternate where you can go over um, a line of, of uh, beer kegs. Um, you, you know, it's just a, a, a sideways line of, of beer kegs lined up. So you, you can choose to take the rather leaping step over those with your bike or go around them through this uh, little cluster of, of, uh, of kegs. Uh, that, was, that was lively. <laughs> it was pretty entertaining. Um, and racing at night was pretty good. A bunch of people showed up with lights though. It's like, Oh, come on. There was enough lighting out there. You know, <laughs> embrace the darkness. I say, uh, you know, come over to the dark side. Um, <clears throat> the best race of the weekend though, was, uh, Sunday's event at spring Lake park. Uh, I, of last year's race, I wrote that I hadn't been so muddy from a bike race since I left new England. Um, it had rained the night before and we just all ended up completely brown by the time the day was over. Um, this year there wasn't any rain. The course was still a little slippery here and there. Um, two descents that were quite, uh, um, quite difficult, um, in a really delightful way. Um, and then once my race was over, I was in the 45 plus B's, um, uh, my friends with Remba, uh, of which I am an upstanding member, uh, showed up with beer left over from the party the night before, and we proceeded to uh, uh, give people beer um, about an ounce and a half at a time. Uh, we did beer hand-ups for every race thereafter, and um, the women were really pretty partial to it. I was amazed when some of the A's even took hand-ups. Mm -hmm. uh, to his credit... Eventual third place, Justin Robinson, took a hand up on the final lap. That dude rocks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, at first, like, you know, when the leaders would come by, I just wouldn't even stand close to the, to the tape uh, with a beer. I would just let him pass because I knew they were too serious. Mm -hmm. And then we'd start heckling, guys. Oh, come on. Live a little. Um, <laughs> There's a good shot of you actually handing up a beer to a competitor. I assume that was Sunday. Yeah. Um, that, that I've seen on a number number of different posts. Now, this is a three-day event. Is it scored over the three days? So there is a cumulative award for who does best over the three races. Um, but naturally, you know, there's a winner each day. Um, you know, so they award daily podiums. And then at uh -huh. the end, um, the person highest in accumulated points uh, gets uh, an award. And um, uh, I was not that person. No, but you you raced all three days. Oh yeah, oh. and now I'm sick. Yeah, well you you should be. <laughs> You're drinking beer and racing three days in a row. Well, I didn't drink any beer until the, my third race was over. I mean, oh, let's get you're real. You're too disciplined. Come on. <laughs> I actually did a shot of tequila during my gravel ride uh, at the well, third right. rest stop. They had a shot. They were doing tequila shots, nice. and it'd been a long it'd been a long time for me. I was like, and I had to get instructions on that whole salt shot lime sequence i'd been a while since i'd done one so somebody had to show me the method and then of course right after the shot of tequila we headed straight for the only single track section of the entire course a two mile downhill section so perfect well timed <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did get a donut hand up during the race on sunday 
Uh, mm-hmm. But nobody was yet doing beer hand ups during any of my races. I would happily have played along had someone manned up. And, you know, prior to the races, I was asking for people to come out and heckle us. I got a lot of cheering. I didn't get any heckling. And if if there's somebody out there who deserves some heckling, I'm going to put forward the idea that I am your man. I'm the sort of guy who <laughs> needs to be heckled because I'm clearly not going fast enough. And I've got a thick skin. Um, and I like the funny. Um, and, you know, worst case scenario is you'll get me laughing so much that I'll end up slowing down, which would in turn make other people laugh. You're very lucky to live uh, in the home of Bike Monkey, I, I would say. They put on really, really solid events. Good good group of people. And that one sounds like one of their better ones. Oh, they, you know, I mean, in the, in the universe of Bike Monkey and the events they do, this one is an also ran. But it's also, I mean, I literally walked up to a friend and said, this is the greatest cross race of my life on Sunday. It was the most fun I'd ever had at a cyclocross race. Seriously. And I mean, I love cyclocross. Um, that was one of the things I really missed out on when I moved away from New England. But Bike Monkey sets the bar so high that this just isn't even close to one of their best events. Well, cheers to fall traditions. We hope uh, everyone has one or can find one soon. It certainly is a great time to ride. Uh, yes, I think Patrick uh, penned it properly. This is more than just junk miles. Uh, this is fun miles, cool miles, time to bond, time to hang out, time to put things in perspective. You know, worry about next year down the road. Enjoy this time now. It's a good, great, great time of year. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, coming up, yep, coming up, the changing political landscape and single track trails. That's next on the Pace Line. My name is Yuri Hauswald, and I'm from Petaluma, California. I only have one of these my whole life, number one plate. So this is Dirty Kansas 2015, 204 mile gravel race in Emporia, Kansas um, that I was fortunate enough to win. Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, fatty at fatcyclist.com. Patrick Brady at redkitepair.com. I'm Michael Houghton. Good news, Paceliners. Uh, we have a sponsor, our first. And this is actually something that caught my eye a few months ago. And that is insurance that takes into account healthy lifestyles, specifically life insurance for cyclists. Patrick, tell us about Health IQ. Yeah, so actually they got in touch with us because one of their employees listens to the pace line. Uh, so I was pretty psyched about that. It's funny. I had been seeing their ads in social media. Um, this is, you know, health insurance geared to cyclists, which is to say, you know, health insurance uh, predicated on somebody who's living a healthier life. You know, um, they're aware and actively courting uh, clients who are living a healthy, conscious lifestyle. Um, you know, they're actively chasing science and data, uh, so that they can fight for lower rates on life insurance, uh, for those who are health conscious, you know, so it's not just cyclists, it's runners, swimmers, you know, whoever, uh, triathletes, um, and you know, they've got, they've got data that shows that, you know, if you're a cyclist, you've got a 45% lower cancer risk an 18% lower heart rate risk and up to a 28% lower heart uh, lower risk of early death. Um, so it's, you know, it's 
pretty solid information that they're using to advocate for better rates. Um, I, you know, I'm a fan. <laughs> I need to get new life insurance, and I'm certainly going to be looking at this as I shop. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to have them as a sponsor, and I think that you know for our audience, uh, they're well worth looking at. Yeah, the bottom line is you st- because you ride, you stay healthy, and you should benefit from that vis-a-vis your insurance rates. And that's what Health IQ, that is, is after for you. So for more information on Health IQ or to get a quote, go to healthiq.com, click on their insurance tab, scroll down to the Get a Quote section, and you will see a cycling icon. Or just go to raykuiper.com, show 42, and we will have a direct link in our show notes. And we thank Health IQ for a great idea and for their support of the pace line. And thank you, Patrick, for, for finding them as well. Uh, we uh, got some responses, guys, to a couple stories we relayed last show, both involved people setting up booby traps on mi- mountain bike trails. We heard from Mickey Vukovic, a pace line listener, and he'd read about a situation in San Diego, actually a warning going out on a cycling forum uh, in the Rose Canyon area at night. Uh, three times in the past two months, Uh, Cyclists have come across a creative arrangement of cones and barricades along the bypass seemingly meant to cause crashes. And whoever's doing this is getting more uh, creative all the time. The first version was cones tossed on their sides. The second time it was cones and controls moved to the middle of the path before the ridges, almost designed to force the unwary cyclist off the road and down into a creek. And the latest version featured barricades on their sides ready to trap and crash riders, especially at night. So word going out in the Rose Canyon area in San Diego that somebody is up to no good again. This this kind of nonsense is continuing, guys. So be safe, friends. And if you can, maybe, down there in San Diego, like those mountain bikers did in British Columbia, to catch a woman putting debris across trails, try to get some photos. They set up uh, infrared cameras. They went the distance on that to, to catch that person. So be safe, everyone, in San Diego. Uh, speaking of trails, uh, Patrick, you've made your voice heard again on a topic we've talked about a couple times on the pace line, and that is trail access and the Wilderness Act, specifically yeah. the Human Powered Travel in Wilderness Act. What What is your latest on that? Well, when I first wrote about this for RKP, a lot of the comments that we got were from people who said, oh, well, the, the bill's sponsors, Mike Lee and Orrin Hatch of Utah, are Republicans. And because they're Republicans, we can't trust them, uh, as if all cyclists are Democrats. Um, you know, that's just kind of an inherently silly idea. And that, uh, you know, we shouldn't work with these guys because they aren't us. Uh, I tried to point out that, you know, we really should reach across the aisle on this. Uh, we should work with anyone who's interested. And Lee and Hatch uh, have a vested interest in tourism, uh, which you know, needs cycling so that Utah doesn't only have tourism in the winter months. Um, and now we've had this election in which uh, Republicans hold the uh, the White House, uh, the Senate, and Congress. And the point of my most recent post was to say, look, if you're waiting for, you know, a 100% Democratic uh, government to try and uh, create legislation that you'll trust— you're going to wait four years, and there's no time like the present uh, for us to start trying to heal some of the divides 
in our government and in our society than by working uh, with people who are maybe not necessarily of the same political outlook as us. Um, And unfortunately, no, some of our readership is still like, no, this is a black or white issue, not working with them. Um, If they want to compromise, they can come over to our side. And I just wanted to hit my head against the wall. Well, I was one of those skeptics. Um, I believe you called us daffodils, Patrick, in your piece, which I thought was interesting. Um, But here's why I am skeptical. And it's not because they're Republicans. It's because they have terrible records, uh, terrible environmental records. Awful. Both senators, Lee and Hatch, are amongst the bottom uh, in the U.S. Senate as far as their environmental record. And all I'm saying is STC, the Sustainable Trails Coalition, who's behind this bill, look, could you have not shot for somebody a little better who's going to listen to all sides of this, who has a good environmental record, who's going to have more credibility in this area? So when you do present your legislation, it will have an honest-to-goodness chance and it will have received an honest-to-goodness vetting before it's pushed before pushed onto uh, President Trump's desk. That's all I was trying to point out regarding Lee and Hatch. Not that they're Republicans. Great. I don't care. Look, Gary Johnson is not a Democrat, and I think the world of him as a cyclist, he's a libertarian. Yeah. Um, and so there, a is, there is a response cool to this. Um, I've had some contact with the president of the STC, Ted Stroll, and his, uh, his response on this was, you know, as, um, as the party that backed uh, this legislation, you know, to, to get it to the point to be sponsored, you don't get the opportunity to choose who decides to take up the legislation and actually sponsor it? Um, Lee uh, was the first one to say, oh, yeah, this is cool. We should do this. And then, you know, enlisted Hatch uh, to back him on it. Um, so they didn't go to Lee and Hatch and say, hey, would you would you sponsor this legislation? They chose. Um, this is an, an aspect of uh, legislating. Uh, with which I'm unfamiliar. I really don't know the ins and outs of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But Ted explained it to me and said, you know, they didn't have the ability to go to a a Barbara Boxer and say, hey, would you do this? Um, mm-hmm. And so it says a lot in a positive way, I think, about Mike Lee, that he saw the value in this. He chose to sign on for this. Um, and yes, they've got terrible environmental records, but they are also uh, representing a state where uh, tourism interests are very high. And uh, one of the things that Utah is doing, and Fatty can speak to this better than I can, is trying to expand its, its appeal for tourism in summer months. And mountain biking is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Fatty, how's it playing in Utah? You know, there isn't a lot of discussion about it because these are pretty popular uh, politicians, you know, easily getting reelected every term. And the, I would say from the Utah perspective, um, I mean, these are guys who are thinking about their constituents. And like, uh, like you two have both been discussing, this is something that in Utah – it would be good for the economy. And these guys are nothing if not pragma, uh, pragmatists, right? They are, it, it's not so much that they're thinking, wow, this would be great for the environment. They're thinking, wow, this would be great for the economy. Um, and, you know, as such, it's a savvy move. It's not necessarily them, uh, you know, having a soft, you know, suddenly developing a softer side. 
That said, I think bringing that kind of person in, someone who can make the economic argument, is a great thing. And we should be now focusing on the folks who will also bring in the environment argument. And when you can make both of those things, and you know, these guys representing that part of the equation, then we're golden. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, folks, we should probably, a, a little background too, Patrick, and that is that the Human Powered Travel in Wilderness Act, what it essentially does is allow local land managers to decide on a case-by-case basis or make recommendations actually on a case-by-case basis whether or not mountain bikes should be allowed in wilderness areas. Now, wilderness areas are some of the most sacred areas in America that the, that the federal government controls. Beyond even a national park or a national forest, a wilderness area is usually kept very remote. You don't usually see camp, you know, major campgrounds or villages a la Yosemite or Yellowstone set up in a wilderness area. So there's there's a distinct difference between a wilderness area and a national forest where you might see more access. And certainly in a national park, you see more hiking and activities and so on and so forth. But the wilderness area is considered like this sacred ground. They're just talking about opening up the control of those trails on a case-by-case basis. That's That's the mechanics behind it. It's not a blanket approach. Well, and one of the reasons, one of the things that we need to make clear about this, one of the reasons behind this legislation is that um, as new areas are being designated uh, wilderness, we are actually actively removing trails from mountain biking, removing uh, fire roads from access to gravel bikes. So, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, people shouldn't be allowed on the John Muir Trail. Sure. Uh, I'm I'm okay with that idea, but in Idaho, uh, the Boulder White Clouds uh, area, it was a recreation area that was open to mountain biking for decades, um, and was an incredibly uh, popular place for mountain biking, and to the best of my knowledge, was the place that both hikers and mountain bikers and equestrians uh, coexisted peacefully, but. Um, an Idaho lawmaker wanted part of his outgoing legacy to be uh, uh, turning the Boulder White Clouds area into a wilderness area. And he did that. And suddenly all of those trails and fire roads were off uh, off limits to cyclists. Um, we no longer have access to that. And that's something that I think the cycling community doesn't sufficiently appreciate, that the place the places that you currently ride could one day become a wilderness area and suddenly you'd lose all that. So this isn't just about, oh, we want to get to ride places where we've traditionally not been able to. This is about preserving uh, areas that we have traditionally been to, uh, been able to ride as well. But in some cases, the smart move and the right move will be to shut down certain trails. They may be that that may be what happens in the end, when you look on at them on a case by case basis, you may, in the end, they may arrive at the same conclusion that we have now, and that is, when a wilderness area is declared, trails are shut down to all but hikers, and that that could still go on under the proposed legislation. So, tell you, folks, take a, a go get a legislative tracker of some sort online, put in S dot three two zero five. That is the Human Powered Travel and Wilderness Act. Track it. Um, it's going to be an interesting bill, especially again with the changing dynamic in Washington. Um, we know that you know the houses have been controlled by both houses have been controlled by the Republicans. Now we have a Republican 
president. So there very well could be some movement on this uh, particular bill. Uh, one more post-election uh, bike advocacy note, actually a couple of them here. In my inbox uh, this week, just after the election, I received an email from the head of the California Bike Coalition, as did everyone on the CBC uh, email list. And I'm hoping my Paceline pundit panel here can help me with some interpretation. It comes from Dave Snyder, executive director of the California Bicycle Coalition. I'll read some highlights here. What does the election of Trump mean for our mission to enable more people to ride bicycles? This election has filled most Californians, people, for most Californians, that is, with fear. A proven racist and misogynist man was elected president, in part by stoking hatred of and encouraging violence against people of color, women, immigrants, the disabled, in other words, most Californians. But it's important to understand that he only took advantage of deep divisions already present. We all need to work to overcome racism and sexism, no matter who is in the White House. It's work we have to do from the ground up, community by community. As bike advocates, we can't be successful outside of the context of the lives of the people riding bikes and the people who want to join us on more bikes. Together, we can find a path to social justice, including transportation justice. The new national government will likely, mean, will likely make the path more difficult, but in California, the election provided new opportunities. Again, that was from Dave Snyder, executive director of the Cal Bike Coalition. The last line there, new opportunities in California, is referring to the number of transportation ballot measures that passed in California that provide funding for bike projects. There seems to be a lot here, guys. Uh, it seems to be a little anger, a little frustration, but uh, maybe somebody trying to shine a glimmer of hope on everything that's going on. Can you guys at all read between the lines of, of what's being said here? Um, I, you know, I think there's a, a common uh, belief on the part of many, shall we say, left-leaning cyclists that cycling is an inherently democratic sort of activity, that it just draws Democrats. Um, and that's an idea I want to push back against because mm-hmm. uh, for us to believe that, you know, you've got to be of a particular mindset to to do this thing or to be attracted to this thing, um, I think is really limiting. Um, and I think it does a disservice to the very diversity that we love to tout cycling is, you know. And so, um, you know, for whatever for whatever disappointment some people may feel from this election, um, if you look at the election strictly through the lens of bicycle legislature uh, legislation, you know, this election was a huge win. Um, I mean, literally every ballot measure I know of passed. Um, and so there's, there's a lot to celebrate. And I think we need to keep in mind that, uh, for for cycling to be a big inclusive and diverse activity slash sport, um, we need to acknowledge that there are people of many political flavors who who take part in this, and mm-hmm. you know we should be welcoming to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Donald Trump did put on a bike race. I, I suppose he does like bikes, but I don't know how he feels about bike. Oh, he advocates. put on a media event. He didn't give a yeah, slip true. about cycling, you know? <laughs> um. A contact of mine in the bike advocate community on, on this letter from Dave Snyder said that 
Probably what Day was trying to do was reassure the poor and minority communities that CalBike is on their side, that they have their bikes. Because certainly there's a lot of nervousness, especially here in the Los Angeles area, in the immigrant community, many of whom who ride use bikes for transportation, about the Trump presidency. And what Snyder was trying to do, and maybe it was through... Uh, a certain amount of anger and frustration is to say to those constituents, and they are constituents of his, that, look, don't worry. We're going to continue to fight for you. Just keep pedaling. Keep going to work. Keep riding. And Calbike will keep doing what we need to do to make sure that, you know, you, you're getting safe routes and safe roads and equipment and what have you. Um, I, I got another letter, in fact, too, also from a bike coalition. This is from the L.A. County Bike Coalition, a post-election letter Executive Director Tamika Butler uh, wrote that we don't comment on national politics at LCBC. We're here to make impacts on the local level for you, our members. But as the Executive Director of an organization whose diversity matches that of our county, uh, when I look at my team this week, I know that we are proud of our successes as a staff, as staff of this organization. But as people, we're hurting a bit. Your LCBC team is composed of people who have immigrated to this country. Your team is composed of parents to daughters who still see a glass ceiling despite qualifications. Your team at LCBC is composed of people whose families' lives are across the borders and fears of families continuing to be ripped apart have only been furthered by this election. But she said in the end, we're going to keep fighting for LA to be safe, fun, and a healthy place to bike for everyone. We're here for you, and no matter what happens, no, we will keep pedaling. That one is a little more direct, a little easier to understand. Again, but the same idea. Look, we understand, folks, that you might be upset about this national election. You might have concerns. You might be fearful. But on a local level, on a state level, especially in California, for that matter, don't worry. The bike community will stick, will stick by you. The national election does not reflect them or, or what they're about. Uh, We continue to applaud on the show the inclusion and equal treatment of women in cycling. Uh, Last show, we were proud to announce that uh, one-time Paceline guest Megan Guarnier had been named Female Rider of the Year. This time, we'd like to acknowledge uh, bike company Trek for expanding its training of female bike mechanics. Trek has welcomed 11 mechanics to his first-ever women's expert technician course up in Waterloo, Wisconsin, Uh, The expert tech course consists of six days of tuition at a Trek facility, a training facility. They get lectures and they hear from uh, some of the industry partners like SRAM, Shimano, RockShock, Bosch. Bosch is a good one because of e-bikes and Fox. And they cover a lot of the intricate subjects regarding uh, bike uh, repair and maintenance, uh, mountain bike suspension, uh, internal cable routing, all that good stuff you need to know to be a good bike mechanic. A couple things that are great about this program, you know, bike shops need to play up and improve the service angle because more and more product is just being delivered by the UPS driver and not going through bike shops. They need something to hold on to, bike shops do. So service will be key. And then second, making women feel welcome in bike shops is also, we think, really important. I don't know if you've been in one in a while, but the old shop can be quite the dude ranch and the mechanics quarters even more so. So Good to see Trek at least trying something here uh, to improve representation of women uh, in the mechanics quarters of your bike shop. And uh, speaking of wrenches, Patrick, if you will, um, 
You have yeah. more on an interesting organization we, we've talked on early on uh, uh, in the genesis of the Paceline podcast. Yeah. Um, so back when we talked about the, uh, the mechanics competition at Interbike uh, a couple months ago, um, that sponsor, that uh, contest was sponsored by the Professional Bike Mechanics Association. And um, I've been keeping an eye on them and what they're up to because of my time in shops. You know, being a shop wrench is something that I don't ever want to do again, but it's still something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I know how hard that work is. Um, I know how hard it is to present yourself as a professional who really knows what you're doing. And uh, James Stanfill, who began the organization, um, has really been doing a lot to try and further uh, this group and, um, you know, really help out mechanics uh, across the nation. So I got on the phone with him and we talked. Hi, James. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Um, your compatriot, Doug Martin, added me to the Facebook group when you first got started. And so I've had a chance to see, you know, the sorts of things that have been going on with the Professional Bike uh, professional Bicycle Mechanics Association has been doing. Um, but I'm curious, while I see the need for the organization, having spent years in shops myself uh, in my past, um, I'm I'm curious, was there a sort of a precipitating event that made you think, okay, it's high time we get organized. It's high time we start, uh, you know, providing uh, a little more muscle to mechanics, provide uh, some accreditation. Um, what was it that led you to think, okay, now's the time? Sure. Um, I don't recall the exact uh, event that occurred. It's obviously been a topic of discussion for a long time with a lot of different groups and people um, to create some meaningful something for mechanics. Mm -hmm. um, and when we started it, you know, even in that Facebook group, you know, we, we weren't sure what this was going to turn into or be. And the rapid growth of the group and the 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 interest from, from people really led led me and, and some others to kind of drive this to where it is today. But to answer your question, probably what happened was either I or someone else was in talks with someone about a job and they chose someone else because of some skill they believed that we didn't have, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people don't a lot of people don't realize in the industry, we know what it is, but a lot of people in some parts of, of industry and beyond don't realize what it takes to be a bike mechanic. You need to be learning stuff every day. The, the, the trend of new components and new technology changes so rapidly that if you're not keeping up with that, then what are you keeping up with and how are you, how are you staying abreast of, of what it takes to be what I would call a professional mechanic in, in today's modern era. So true. I mean, when I was working as a bike mechanic, I had one set of bottom bracket tools, you know, everything was yep. square taper. And now every time I review a new crank, I've got to inquire on the front end about what tools I need to install the BB. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, and if I was doing that on a full-time day-to-day basis, I could see, uh, what a headache it would be in terms of the amount of knowledge that you need to maintain uh, to be really good at your job. And I also respect that 
you know, economic conditions are different than when I was working in shops in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, to, to have somebody farting around for 20 minutes or half an hour looking for the right tool, uh, to, to do a repair, that's just not efficient, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah. uh, you know, you've got places in, in California where shops just simply can't get good techs because they can't pay them enough money to live there. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah, I would not want to be a bike mechanic in this state. Um, that would be a big challenge. Um, yeah, so so you and some other people decided, okay, we're going to start this organization. You know, in terms of bullet list items, you know, what were the three big ones that you thought that in bringing together, you know, a group of like-minded individuals, you'd be able to accomplish? Sure, and, you know, it really sums up really nicely because we – we thought about that for a long time and we built it into the mission. So it's to promote, advocate and develop. Um, and you can look at those from, from any angle promotion mm-hmm. of mechanic is just this association and in a conversation, just like we're having now bringing awareness to what mechanics actually do on a daily basis and how they're able to do it. Um, developing them is something we're working on with certification and, and training opportunities. And, and, you know, I think we'll see a lot more of that come into life as we, we continue to grow and, you know, advocating, just getting out there, same deal, getting to events, talking to companies, talking to shops, talking to owners, talking to people in general about what it takes to be a real professional in this, in this uh, trade. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, now in looking through posts on the uh, Facebook group, you know, I get the notifications about those. I see a whole lot of posts about, um, you know, I had a customer who came in and he wanted Dura's for 10% below what Wiggle sells it for. And he wanted wanted it installed for free or whatever. And how would you guys deal with this? I didn't tell him to go pound sand, but, you know, it, it left a bad taste in my mouth and he hasn't been back to my shop in three weeks. Um, yeah. That sort of thing. And then also a lot of, you know, photos of of bikes that have been you know basically you know left in a barn or left out in the rain and like you know what do i even do where do i even start sort of things um it strikes me that that wasn't specifically what the group was for but the opening up of dialogue about this strikes me as something that you know if for no other reason than blowing off steam must have proven to be a really terrific help to everybody. Um, is, is that your experience with it? Yeah. So, I mean, we started the group really as a, as an idea to bring people together to begin the conversation. And the group has almost 7,500 people in it now from kind of all walks of life. It's not necessarily just mechanics in there. Uh, We do look at, people before being added and make sure they have some sort of industry kind of involvement, be it a guy working part-time in a shop or out of his garage, you know? Um, but the, the interesting thing that we see in there is that we're connecting these people who maybe never talked to another bike mechanic ever. Like it's some guy in a remote place in Indiana or Iowa talking with some guy in California who's seen this, you know, day in and day out. And this other guy's seen it for the first time. Um, 
and it's interesting to see, you know, who chimes in. Sometimes the conversations go downhill quickly and sometimes you see really good conversations occurring there. Yeah. Uh, as the organizational movement, we built a forum to kind of host conversations for people who don't want to deal with the, the, you know, pluses and minuses that, that Facebook has to offer where you can hold people a little more accountable for their actions or words. Um, but certainly the, the Facebook group is, a, I think, a pretty interesting resource now for, for anybody working anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's, you know, it's like any tool, you know, it's as good as as you make it, you know. Yep. Um, and I, I've, I've just been interested to see, you know, the nature of the problems that people bring to the group. Um, and it seems like, you know, more often than not, you know, yeah, while some of the conversations get sideways, mostly um, they're you know, pretty enlightened conversations about, you know, dealing with sort of off, very often basic customer service issues, you know, and yep. you know, how how far are you willing to go to try to keep that customer coming in the store? Um, yep. And it's been an education for me in seeing just just how unrealistic the expectations of some clients are uh, and what a frustration yep. that must be to deal with. Yep. And I think that that's something as an organization we can work on to help on that development side is when we have these training opportunities and people are there to learn about tech to also include some development aspects, be it, you know, management or money or professionalism and, and how to deal with situations like this. Like, you know, like the guy just doesn't, he, he had his own solution, but he wants to know kind of what everyone else thinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, bringing some of that information forward from someone who can speak on it authoritatively and, and give the, the attendee good quality information is going to be uh, something that we can offer. Very cool. Now, I'm sure you've probably hit a roadblock or two along the way, some unexpected frustrations. Um, you know, what, what didn't you anticipate that has proven to be more difficult than you thought it would be? So, <laughs> uh, for me, the, the rapid growth, like we didn't, when we, when myself and a couple others were talking about this and what it could be, we never said, Hey, you know, we're going to go to Interbike this year and have a booth and put this mechanics challenge on and, and help do all this other stuff and have all these meetings and conversations. Um, so just the, the rapid movement has been, a a challenge, um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty forward thinking. And, and good at planning and, and looking and, and trying to be ahead of the curve. Um, but we've been right there on the, you know, on the edge of that ball rolling over on us, just in, in trying to get this whole thing together and built and, and launched to where we see it today. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, I mean, as they say, happy problems, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely not a, it's not a horrible problem to have. And so at this point, um, you know, your big successes, you know, what, what would you say, you know, aside from the obvious population, um, what else has been going really well for you so far? So Interbike was a huge success. Um, the folks at Interbike really made it possible for us to be there by, by, you know, involving us with the mechanics challenge and making us a big part of that and, and giving us some space for a booth. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So that was a huge success. We were, we had a lot of good conversations there. I know everybody talks about, you know, attendance was down and this was down and that was down, but I've been to Interbike a lot and that was the busiest I had been uh, in 10 or more years of, of attending that event trade show uh, in various roles. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's as, it's as busy as you make it, huh? Yes. For us, it was, it was a great success. We met a lot of people who were interested in what we were doing, had good conversations with a lot of the, you know, industry folks that we've been talking to on phone and email. We finally got to sit down and have in-person conversations about ideas for the future and, and involvement and things that we could start to work on. Um, and then, you know, after that, we, we came up with this idea about certification. And if you haven't seen it, you can you can go to our website and just do the backslash certification and you'll you'll find the, the information is there. We put it up and made it public. The same letter we sent to the industry is available for anybody to look at. Um, yeah, kind of we'll, we'll include a link to that um, in our show notes. Yeah. Sure. So kind of what it should be and, and what it should look like. Um, it'll be, you know, it's it's new to a lot of people. We discuss this with people at Interbike, you know, the people who are in education and and, in tech education currently. And we discussed it in person and we put the document together and kind of got it out to, to everybody because we want to see where this can go. I think it's an important part of the future is, you know, the guy that buys his $10,000 bike in the store online, he wants to know that the person working on it is qualified. And the only way to prove that isn't by just saying, yeah, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) <laughs> right i'm wearing the apron um yeah. yeah now you know to to realize these goals um it strikes me that you're probably going to need shall we say friends in high places you know who yes what sort of alliances will be most useful to you going forward is it really shop owners or is it getting um, the big bike companies like Specialized and Giant and Trek uh, to sign on and back this. Who, what you know? Who do you need as allies? Sure. I mean, honestly, I think it takes uh, people in every aspect of the industry to to make this project successful. Um, I think a lot of failures in the past have been one person or one entity trying to dictate what this or that should be. Yeah. And really, we're, we're a whole industry with, uh, you know, broad spectrum from, from a, a $100 bike to, to $10,000 plus bikes, right? And we need to look at all aspects of that and how all aspects of what we're trying to do affect each level in there. We don't want to say that to be certified, you have to know how to work on, you know, an electronic group necessarily because the guy may only do beach cruisers and he wants to be certified. Sure. So we need to we need to the big picture of what the whole industry looks like and bring everybody to the table to say what's most important for this basic certification. What does somebody need to know? And then what's, what's from there? How do you stay certified? How do you move to the next level? All those things have to be looked at and it takes, it's going to take mechanics. It's going to take shop owners. It's going to take specialized Shimano, Trek giant, SRAM, everybody. Wow. They all have to be involved. And has anyone proven to be uh, particularly helpful so far? We've had we've had a lot of help from the BPSA. That's the Bicycle Product Suppliers Association. Yep. Um, they've been good at, at listening and responding and, and helping us kind of shape and, and move forward. 
Uh, we haven't entered into any, you know, official contracts or anything with anybody really. Um, but they, they were one of the first to reach out and endorse us and recognize what we're doing and the kind of the goals and reach that we could have to really make a change. That's excellent. I mean, they're, they've got the sort of credibility and neutrality uh, that I, it sounds like should be really helpful to you. Sure, exactly. Very cool. And we want, you know, we want everyone that wants to be involved to be involved because it's, it's going to affect everybody in the future. Um, the time for this is now because, you know, the face of retail is changing. If we don't change with it now, we can't react to it in the future. It's going to be too late. Um, bike mechanics are always going to have bikes to fix. It's just a matter of where they're working to fix them. Yep. Yep. Very true. Um, and there, you know, it seems like there is an ever increasing number of cyclists out there who are busy enough in their daily lives, you know, with their career, family, you know, all the all the rest of the uh, concerns of a modern life that they don't really even want to know how to work on their bike, much less carve out the time to do it. And so the the need for qualified mechanics strikes me as something that's only going to go up with time. Exactly. You know, the consum consumerism or whatever you want to call it uh, changes every day. More people shop online. They research more stuff online. And when they start researching, eventually, like, what makes this guy a good bike mechanic, there should be something there for them to find that information and tell them what makes someone good or not good or better qualified or whatever it may be again that's james stanfield president of the professional bicycle mechanics association an effort we applaud here at the pace line i think those last points patrick are are well taken and that is the changing landscape of retail if bike shops uh want to survive maybe they ought to start looking at their service departments even more seriously as the place that's going to keep them afloat you know, it's often the source of, of the the rub that many consumers feel with bike shops. Like they've gotten the brush off from guys who aren't all that professional. And, uh, you know, those people who want to step up their game and be more professional, I think are going to find success. Mm -hmm. Fatty, we've, uh, we heard there in the discussion about wages and about the struggle to make a mm -hmm. decent living as a bike mechanic, especially here in California. Now, California is kind of a unique situation, at least most parts of it, because it's so damn expensive here. Utah, the cost of living is more reasonable. How, your perception at least, how do bike mechanics appear to be doing? Well, I, maybe the best uh, analogy or the best example that I could give would be uh, my good friend Racer. His first name actually is Racer of Racer's Cycle Service. Um, a couple of decades ago, he uh, started a small business based on just servicing bikes. Uh, he eventually picked up a couple of lines, uh, you know, and but over the years, it really was service that brought in loyalty from customers, including me. I, for you know, two decades now, have you know driven by dozens of bicycle shops to go to racers because I knew my bike was going to be taken care of properly there. He recently, um, the, a developer uh, bought the, uh, the place where he was leasing or had owned his shop and, you know, raised it to put up condos or something. Hmm. And racer moved into a sprinter van 
and now drives around doing um you know at you know at your doorstep uh same day service you know fix your bike do whatever and you know as far as i'm concerned he's you know he has sort of he he's taking that ultra super premium service you're going to get your bike fixed to you know a completely new level all of that said you know the question you asked is can people make a living doing that and the answer at least for racer is no um you know doing that is um you know that takes care of him during the time of year when people are actually riding their bikes a ton but during the winter he's you know out of luck uh what he does during the winter is actually uh he does dog sled rides um Hmm. you know in you know i live in ski country and you know park city sundance all of these uh ski places people will you know they pay you know a pretty decent amount of money for for a ride in a dog sled and that's what he does during the winter so you know even you know someone with decades of experience and a hugely loyal following and um you know a proven ability to adapt to uh, to economies and cha- you know the changing universe is still not enough even in a pretty easy you know a pretty affordable place to live for you know for someone like that to make it you know he wor- you know he's doing this his wife is working and he still has to do something else to make ends meet mm-hmm. uh, this the situation as i see it with bicycle mechanics and bike shops is not unlike the situation with cars i mean i remember a day when i would with confidence do a lot of work on my own car change oil spark plugs adjust a carburetor change a belt mm-hmm. i could do all of that stuff now I am lucky to open the hood on my car and understand what's going on there. And I think there's a parallel going on here with bikes, electronic shifting, carbon bits everywhere, 18 million goddamn bottom bracket standards, uh, (laughs) different hub spacings, uh, spoke nipples now buried deep inside rims. This stuff is getting more complicated. So while the bike shop itself and its retail operation and the way we buy our equipment may be phasing out or slowly dimming to black, the mechanic is going to be, I think, more in the spotlight, a la the car mm-hmm. industry, where now you practically have to have a science degree, a computer science degree, to diagnose a car properly and to work on it. And so that's why we say support your bike mechanic. We've talked on the pace line often here about tipping bike mechanics. It's one of the, one of the first things Fatty brought up in one of our first shows about the Hell importance yeah. of tipping and supporting your bike mechanics and supporting an organization like the Professional Bike Mechanics Association. Because we want these guys around. We need them to survive, because we all have lots of bikes. And the bikes are getting more complicated. And if you think you're going to be able to diagnose a DI2 issue, I don't know. I think that's going to get pretty difficult as time goes on. Okay? Patrick, thanks so much for that interview. Uh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to move on now. Coming up are Paceline Picks. And I will have one to quote a disco song. That will ring your bell, or ring my bell, however the song went. <laughs> Bar tape is, I think, one of those signatures in being a mechanic, especially in a shop, that people, that, that's the thing they're always touching, they're always seeing, and, I, and that's one of the things I kind of pride myself on is a good bar tape job. Uh, 
Up Pace the Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty of FatCyclist.com. Patrick Brady, RedKitePrayer.com. I think Patrick's dealing with a leaf blower again, by the way. I don't know if you heard the end of last show, Fatty, but I I snipped in a little (laughs) piece of leaf blower. Yeah, there it is. He's got a he's got, has a gardener who's who's very good at his job, uh, and shows up <laughs> dutifully every time we record the pace line, and begins <laughs> operating his leaf blower right outside Patrick's window. So Patrick dealing with a leaf blower right now, which means that we'll do our pace line picks, and that means since the leaf blower is going, Fatty, we should let you lead us off with uh, this week's pace line pick. Fantastic, and since we're going with me, probably my dog will start barking. But hey. This is the fabulous and fantastic world of home podcast recording, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So my uh, my paceline pick comes from my weekend of riding. Every every single one of us was on tubeless mountain bike tires, right? Riding it, you know, anywhere from twelve to twenty five psi, just depending on the volume of the tire. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many flats we got during that weekend what and one oh i mean we're doing we're doing stuff where we are bashing hard into rocks and puncturing the actual tire oh. i one guy uh, 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 a guy who actually is the qa engineer for envy so um he he had a few things to say when another writer's uh rim carbon rim broke which was not an envy rim he was like oh that wouldn't have happened if you're on an envy and it's <laughs> oops true as far as i can tell i've uh, anyway i'm sorry i'm 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 ranging far away from my my pace line pick which is something he brought along a genuine innovations tubeless repair kit which is basically these little strips of rope that look like tiny pieces of beef jerky and what looks like a very small screwdriver you just jam it into the tire and i think he saved half a dozen flats during the course of the weekend Mm -hmm. um i'd never used them before but you can bet that i'm buying some and putting them in my saddlebag starting right now if you mountain bike and you ride low pressure and you are doing stuff where you are in sandstone and bashing against rocks hey this is something that is a much easier fix than having to throw a tube in Mm -hmm. i carry those all the time in my little wallet Mm. um and there's one other company that the name escapes me that that also makes uh that might be at their handle the the plunger handle that shoves the plug into the tires is a, a little on the big side so the genuine innovations one is is nice and compact and small, and it's easier to carry around, especially if you've got it in a jersey pocket or something like that. Great suggestion, Fatty, though. Um, yeah. For yes, especially if you're on tubeless, having a way to to not have to put a tube in is what tubeless is all about, isn't it? Oh yeah. Uh, and the fix takes a minute, and it's it just seems like uh, I mean we put them in and forgot about them, and you know continued riding in you know on desert sandstone and in the cactus for the whole week Mm -hmm. or whole weekend i should say uh have i shown off my latest favorite piece of bike equipment yet it's this that is the spur cycle bell that was terrible oh it's beautiful it's a beautiful sound it's a beautiful design they're a little expensive it's small but 
people way down the trail can hear you coming from a mile away. Um, it, though, does have one issue, and that is, like all bells, it mounts right on your bars, along with all the other stuff you might have there. Mm-hmm. Shifters and grips and seat post remote and suspension remote and lights. So that's why my pick is not necessarily a spur cycle bell, but a computer mount that I found that attempts to clean up the clutter. It is the Hide My Bell. Ring my bell? No, Hide My Bell computer mount. They actually uh, came out a while ago, but they've expanded compatibility beyond Garmin to Wahoo and Polar and Mio. So you can mount all those types of computers on this mount. And then the cool part is under the mount or under where the, the computer goes in the mount is a bell. The bell sits right under the, the mount where the computer goes. Now, I don't know if it sounds as good as the spur cycle bell, which I love, but putting the bell on the underside of the mount does keep it out of out in front of you, yet tucks it away. So the, the audio or that, that bell sound still gets still resonates um, and moves out in front of you, but the clutter is is off of your bars. The one criticism is it looks like the rider would, would have to reach towards the bike computer to actually ring the bell. Another cool thing about the Hide My Bell is for a little extra, an action camera can be uh, a- added to that mount. So Hide My Bell is my pace line pick. All right, Patrick, what do you have for us? Uh, so I've got a cream from a company called Topical Edge. And what it does is it delivers sodium bicarbonate through your skin to your muscles the idea being that this will cut down on lactic acid. It'll buffer lactic acid uh, as you go hard. I got some just in time for this weekend's Gelati Cup, and I used it in all three races. And while I don't have, you know, a personal double-blind, you know, A, B <laughs> sessions with, without, and indifferent, and whatever else, placeboed, I, you know, I don't have... Uh, a super scientific comparison to talk about. What I can say is that in Friday night's race, in a 40-minute race, I spent 12 minutes of the race uh, in zone five, completely in the red zone. Um, An amount of time in that zone that I haven't seen in quite some time. Um, So I take it as having done something. You know, I can't say that it made me feel better, Um, I was still just as maxed out when I was going, but I have the distinct impression from the three days of racing that I was able to get more out of my body than I might have otherwise. Um, pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, I am definitely keeping this in my bag of tricks and, um, I was fascinated enough that I actually got on the phone with, uh, one of their people, Jeffrey Byers, and we'll be interviewing him in our next episode. Hmm. Sodium bicarbonate. Yep. Very, that might be a leavening agent, too. I'm not certain. So if it's you just, want to make a, yeah. some banana bread, you just add it to your banana bread as well. Brush <laughs> your nice. teeth with it. You get what? Brush your teeth with it. People brush their teeth oh, with yeah. baking soda. Yeah, yeah, baking soda. That's right. So many uses. More than just rubbing on your legs during a, an extreme cyclocross race. All right, guys. Uh, let's go around the table one more time and see what's going on on our respective sites. Fatty, what uh, kind of excitement do we have at FatCyclist.com? Well, at FatCyclist.com right now, we are doing race reports from the 100 miles of nowhere. And this is one of my favorite things to do every year where my readers send in their race reports. So far, 
I have published one from a woman who went riding in Alaska on her fat bike around a small course that in Strava shaped like a polar bear while <laughs> actually looking at polar bears. Whoa. Awesome, uh, awesome video. Wow. Recommend checking it out. Another rider uh, sent in his uh, what I would consider most nowhere race report ever, where he rode aimlessly in a mowed down soybean field, <laughs> just aimlessly for a hundred kilometers. Oh boy! Yeah, and- no route, no anything. Just rode around aimlessly. Holy, cow. it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, and a uh, you know, great description there. And today, a guy who measured his 100 miles, not in uh, distance, but in the number of swear words in uh, a given episode of the Fantastic uh, and Missed series Deadwood. Uh, He gave himself a half mile for every use of the F word. Um, so it's, it is a, it is a fantastic, uh, time of year to read the crazy creative things that fast cyclist readers are doing all in support of Camp Kesem, one of my very favorite charities. Yeah. I'm definitely down next year. Put me down for a hundred miles of nowhere next year. I got to come up with something though, man, the polar Start bear, thinking. The, that polar bear thing uh, I'm checking out as soon as, as soon as we're done recording here. Very cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Brady, red kite prayer. Yeah. Zip um, wheels. You got more zip wheels going on there. Yep. The 303 uh, NSWs, which are remarkable. And I, I want them on basically every bike that I ride that has caliper brakes. Uh, love those wheels. Um, of course, that may all change when the when I get a set of the new wheels to, to review. Um, but I'm loving those. We've got your very, very green shoe review yes. up. Um, and uh, I'll have a piece on my visit to uh, the Hall of Fame inductions this past weekend in Davis. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, those are the North Wave Extreme Road Shoes, folks. That's a, a pair of shoes I'd been wearing for the summer. Um, so that's up on Red Kite Prayer. They are very green. They do come in other colors, though. They do clean quite well, I can tell you that. Good glossy finish, and they clean up. And I didn't. I really like the shoes. They were very good shoes. Um, so check those out, again, at redkiteprayer.com. The uh, pace line can be found on the pages of RKP, show notes, and links above and below. The uh, Above and below the player, that is, for each episode. And room for your comments, as always. Uh, the pace line can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, subscribe, share, and uh, tell your friends, please. Anything else, guys? I think we've got it. How about the how about the leaf blowers? He's still going. Oh yeah, right here. <laughs> okay, the leaf blowers still going. Yeah. Just I tell you just what. outside my window. Yeah, we're love the, it. We're we're taking we're taking donations now for a broom, and that broom is going to be given to that man with the. Oh leaf no, blower. I want a citadel with one of those little alleys for the hot oil to be poured out. <laughs> You're cruel. <laughs> All right, everybody, let's go for a ride. Be safe, be kind to each other, and we'll talk to you next time. On the Pace Line.